Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged double bill. This week, Brendan Fraser gives the mummy a blast from the past. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani here, uh, after being in a vault underneath the ground for several decades, uh, just ready to go into the world, uh, as we introduce our new episode here, which I should mention, uh, I am the only regular co-host here, unfortunately, Adam uh, my buddy in crime uh, has the flu. He will not be able to be on for this week, unfortunately. Uh, he sends his apologies, but we hope you are doing well out there, Adam, if you are listening. But we did get a sub in to help us out here. Uh, he's a fellow Talk Film Society podcaster in uh, his own right uh, with uh, Have a Nice Apocalypse, the Richard Kelly show, uh, is Mr. Marcus Irving. Marcus, welcome to the show. Hello, Tommy. Happy to be your Adam for a week. Really uh, appreciate you coming in uh, in, a, in a pinch to help us out here. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to discuss whatever movies we have this week. I don't know what they are. <laughs> well, all the prep that you did, <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, well, this week, just to inform you, Marcus Manley, not even our, our listeners out here, they read the title at least of the episode, so they're aware. Uh, but uh, this week, <laughs> uh, we are doing an episode about uh, Mr. Brendan Fraser, who's having a bit of sort of oh. a comeback. Uh, in, in recent years, especially uh, given The Whale uh, would be expanding around this time into theaters. Uh, his Oscar hopes are pretty high, uh, even though I will just say, as a, as a bigger fella, um, I am kind of dreading The Whale on so many levels. Like, all respect to Brendan, but I'm like, I don't know how Aronofsky's going to deal <laughs> with necessarily. Right with you, Tommy. Right with you, Tommy. I'm sensitive about the subject. I don't necessarily trust uh, Darren Aronofsky to be, he's not going to be very subtle with it, and I don't know how that'll affect me, but look, people people all have this, right? Uh, drug abusers had to do it for Requiem for a Dream, uh, uh, mothers had to do it for Mother, we all got to go through it. They had to be lowercase, but with an exclamation point at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> the, yes. the Darren Aronofsky way. Uh, but uh, yeah, at the same time, I am all for Brendan Fraser having his comeback, even if I'm not, whatever my thoughts will be on the whale. I love that that dude's having his comeback. Um, would you say that you're a fan of Frazier? Maybe. Oh, geez. I don't know. I, I, I would not say that he's somebody I ever thought about all that much and not in a bad way or anything. Just like, I just didn't think about him all that much until I hate to say it. It's that, uh, that piece that came out that like made him super sympathetic and mm-hmm. made you hate that other guy. And, uh, and then I started paying attention to his career more and you go back and you look at it and it's, it's impressive. He's got a very good number of fun things that I did enjoy. Uh, mainly as a kid, I, I was into the mummy. I, I liked the mummy movies as a kid. I liked, uh, or the, the first one at least. <laughs> well, I can at least say, as a young kid, he made such an immediate impression for me with George of the Jungle. 
which as a kid, okay. like I remember seeing that in the theater and being immediately just like, this guy's amazing. He feels like a live action cartoon in a way that few people can actually like replicate that. He does. He does have that quality. Yeah. If you watch that movie, George of the Jungle, it is such an impressive turn for him, especially where he is just in on every single silly, stupid joke and selling it as best he can. And you can see that in a lot of his early comedy stuff where there's as much as, you know, his career is filled with plenty of duds, uh, not necessarily the best comedies. It's never a case of like, he's not trying at the same time. That dude always puts 110% into whatever movie. It never feels like he's slacking at any turn. From, from what I've seen, even just in the last two days, watching these two movies that we did for this, like, He's swinging for it. He's he's always going for it, and uh, I I definitely appreciate that. He he disappeared pretty much around like the 2010s, and it was such a bummer. Obviously, yeah. you you reference a lot of the stuff that happened with uh, the Golden Globes uh, committee person um, and all that horrible shit that was foisted yeah, upon it, him. It stole like a decade of his career from him. Right. Like that's probably why I didn't think about him much because I didn't have much reason to. I'm looking back through his IMDb and like he kind of disappeared after like doing some uh, like straight to DVD looking stuff in like the early 2010s. And then, right. Yeah. Just some TV roles here and there until, uh, Oh, Oh, um, doom patrol. I, I watched the first season of doom patrol. And like, that was the first like time I noticed like, Oh, it's, he's here. <laughs> like, like Brandon Frazier. Oh yeah. I kind of missed that guy. Um, Yeah. Yeah, because it was a combination of, like, the Golden Globe stuff, but also even just, like, a lot of, like, he went through a really bad divorce. He also had um, some very much physical issues with just the way that he sort of threw himself into roles, as we'll definitely be talking about with one of our movies. And at the same time, like, I always had, like, a bit of a soft spot for him. Like, there was that one point where he was at some awards show, and he was, like, kind of, like, they, they would cut to reaction shots of him, like, clapping and, like, pointing off, almost doing something similar to one of the movies we're talking about tonight. And I'm like, oh, I love Brendan. Yeah. It's such a, like, I want to see him come back. And I would say, like, the movie where I'm like, oh, I am so glad to see him back is the Steven Soderbergh one, No Sudden Move, from last year, where he has yeah. such a great small yeah. part in it. And he's so fun. Really, yeah, he really is. Um, but let's get into at least uh, the two movies that Adam and I chose at the end of the last episode, uh, which if you are unaware of Double Edge Double Bill, every week usually Adam and I pick randomly at the end of every episode the two movies, a good and a bad one, uh, for the next one. Uh, so uh, we have our two movies, my good pick of Blast from the Past, we'll talk about first, and then Adam's bad pick that we had of The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Uh, but first, let's get into Blast from the Past. In 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis was heating up, and the threat of nuclear war drove the Weber family underground. How long will we have to stay down here? 35 years. 35 years? Three decades, they lived a fairly normal life. But their son has become a man. What did you wish for, son? Now the time has come. I wish that I could meet a girl. For Adam to step out and discover the world. What is it? The sky. I have never in my life seen anything like it before. Let me guess something. This is your first visit to La La Land. <laughs> From New Line Cinema comes a story about a guy in his 30s. What have you been doing? I've been watching television. In color. Stuck in the 60s. I love sushi. I love Lucy. Looking for love in the 90s. You're a nice boy, but what Eve needs is a nice man. Brendan Fraser, Alicia Silverstone, Christopher Walken, and Sissy Spacek. Blast from the past. 
Uh, so Blast from the Past came out uh, February 12th, 1999 uh, from director Hugh Wilson. I discovered this movie actually earlier this year, but uh, this is one I'd always heard about. And it's definitely one that um, kind of got swept under the rug when it came out initially. It was not a huge success, kind of had mixed reviews from critics. But if you're unaware out there, I, I consider this one a bit of like a hidden gem. Because uh, it's basically about, uh, it starts in 1962, in which a couple, uh, played by Christopher Walken and Sissy Spacek, are, um, you know, hosting a party when they hear about the Cuban Missile Crisis is happening. And so everybody leaves the party, and the whole thing is scaring, especially Christopher Walken. So he's like, you know what, honey, we're going to go into the bomb shelter I've created and go under there. And uh, while they are going underneath, uh, a plane hits, and that uh, starts the timer that basically puts them inside that bomb shelter for 35 years, automated lock, they can't leave. And uh, while they're under, Sissy Spacek is pregnant, so she gives birth to their son, who ends up growing to be Brendan Fraser, and the uh, timed lock unlocks in 1999, and so uh, they decide to venture off. Um, at one point, Christopher Walken sees the world around him and almost has like a heart attack, basically, so Brendan is sent on his own, to journey into 1999 as a kid who's been raised by, like, two people from the 1962 in a very weird, dilapidated sort of setup. And uh, from there, you know, uh, romance ensues when Frasier meets up with Alicia Silverstone, who plays a much more typical 90s kind of, uh, you know, cynical, bitter person to contrast with his uh, endearing charm. And I'm curious, uh, had you seen this one before, Marcus, and what were your thoughts on it? Uh, not only had I never seen it, I had never heard of it until you suggested it to me. Uh, if I had ever like seen the DVD or something, it was completely erased from my brain. And, uh, so yeah, my first time watching this was just when you told me to, I watched it on, it turned out Hulu had it and I watched it there and it was a really good time. I, uh, turned out it was one of my mom's favorite movies. I watched it with her. Yeah, I, I had a very fun time watching it. It's got like a very happy-go-lucky attitude. Um, like it's it's about I mean, you said it's about like in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis, and a guy gets locked underground for and grows up in isolation for thirty-five years. But like, there's never any dread to it. It's always like a pretty light, spry comedy, uh, even in the darker points of it. I, that's something I appreciated a lot. The like, cause like they, they go down, they go down under and like, they don't even let you think that the, the actual bomb went off for more than like a minute or two. They, they go up and show that the world is fine. And there was just a plane that crashed into their house. <laughs> and, um, and then living down there, it's not like they were living in squalor. They were, they were like living a charmed life really. Like, even though, yeah, you'd go insane having to live there for 35 years and never go anywhere else. And if you're Sissy Spacek, you drink cooking sherry by the end of it. <laughs> exactly. She's a, she's a sherry drunk. A cooking sherry drunk. <laughs> the movie's really optimistic, um, just reflecting the main character, reflecting Brenda Fraser's character. And uh, that's something I always appreciate in a movie, uh, or can appreciate on some level at least. Um, yeah, it was a really fun time. Christopher Walken's super fun in it. Uh, Sissy Spacek was really fun. Yeah, Alicia Silverstone was awesome. I, I loved seeing a little bit of Dave Foley, a little bit of Nathan Fillion. Uh, every, everything was a surprise to me. I knew nothing other than Brendan Fraser going in. Yeah, I had, like I said, kind of heard about this movie before and the basic premise, but had never seen it until just earlier this year. I was like, oh, I want a comedy to watch or whatever. This might be fun. And I think this one um, is criminally underrated just because it's like you mentioned, it has like this very 
like, potentially upsetting premise, but it's such a sweet, optimistic, charming movie to me that, like, willingly embraces especially a lot of the stuff that, you know, Frazier in sort of the comeback reframing that's recently been happening, a lot of people point to him as, like, oh, he's, like, the ultimate himbo kind of archetype. <laughs> and this is the perfect example of it for me because he is so charming and has no sense of his surroundings whatsoever but at the same time i just love that as he does like when he goes up and he just encounters people along the way all of them are like very weirded out by him but i love it when certain people are kind of charmed despite that because like this guy's just like out of his gourd i have no idea who this person is like and that's what works for like eventually the alicia silverstone chemistry where she's playing so wry like you know 90s cynical bitter person to contrast yeah. against him it's so fun to watch like when they're in the car when she gives him a ride and he's like oh wait turn the radio that's perry como oh wait here's where it really kicks in <laughs> And so it's so endearing and charming and it really contrasts wonderfully between especially the two of them. Yeah, the, their their play is so fantastic. I mean, you said you said everything her cynicalness con- uh, clashing with his nothing but sincereness learned from I guess watching 50 sitcoms for 35 years and having like a very nuclear family life literally underground. Yeah, they play they play off each other's uh, each other so well and like I know I don't know Alicia Silverstone too well. I, I know her from Clueless, and I know she can do, like... Am I right about that, Clueless? Right, Clueless right. and Batman and Robin was right before this, so this was near the downswing, right? This is definitely not the same performance from Clueless, and like it, it shows a lot of range from her. Yeah, it's, it's a shame that... Like, I know some people aren't necessarily a fan. Like, I would say Adam did log this on his letterbox, said Alicia Silverstone is his big problem with this movie. But I really nah. like the... Like, I, I think she has, like, like we're mentioning, this kind of, like rise sensibility that I agree isn't like um, the clueless character but at the same time like there's the sweetness underneath like I love how the whole like as the movie goes along you can tell that as she's being put on this quest to be like hey find me a wife for Brendan Fraser she's constantly just like oh well I guess this is so ridiculous but not because oh this is a ridiculous premise that we're doing this as much as oh this is ridiculous because I kind of like him and I dig him and I don't want him to go off with somebody else. It's so sweet. Yeah, her turn on him is so, it's very gradual. I mean, you see something there from the beginning, but like she still holds on to her cynical, I, I, I'm not going to do this attitude for a majority of the movie, but you can just slowly, slowly, scene by scene, seeing her soft up just a little bit more each time. Um, and it's, it's, it's honestly very impressive. Particularly a weirdly romantic scene of treating someone's skin knee. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. It's, it's all works really well. But I think to go back to like what we're talking about, like the reasoning behind him, obviously having this like weird, bizarre, um, optimism going back to like walk-in and spacek during, especially like the first third of this movie where someone just spent like watching them live underground is so fucking fun, especially, like, this is walking, I think, right around the time, like, he started going into full, like, I'm gonna do a parody of myself, basically, and he is embracing it so well, like, the whole weird hand thing he does, and Frazier does it back to him. I love the fact that, despite the fact that there's, like, obviously, like, some strife between the couple because they've been underground for so long, you can see why him and Sissy Spacek are a couple, like, the bit where the time lock unlocks, and they, like, look up, it's like, oh, look, we could go upstairs, and they do a weird dance... And it's so fucking funny. <laughs> the dumb dance they do at the same time. You get, oh, this is exactly how you get this Brendan Fraser <laughs> performance. It's from these two <laughs> raising this guy in this very weird circumstance. Yeah. And Fraser specifically, too. It seems like he's 
playing off of what they gave him. Um, what like he is trying to be their son. He's trying to be the combination of those two people's son. And he's doing some something like it feels kind of complex, like what he's doing, because he is he's mimicking the the actions and the the words of of Christopher of his father of Christopher Walken and like how to hold himself as a man and he was taught like self-defense techniques and stuff like he was he was taught so much down there uh he can speak like four different languages his demeanor is obviously from his mother like he's like really peppy happy-go-lucky which is the face that she always tried to put on for him and also so endearingly polite. Like, you get why, like, he would be so polite to people around, like, putting out his hand, extending it and everything. It's just like, oh, he's well-mannered. He was very much taught to, like, respect others from his mother. And it's so charming. Exactly. <laughs> I, I love the I love the running gag of the adult bookstore so much. The of Where course, Christopher yes. Walken goes yeah. up goes up for the first time, goes in, goes in there, and then they linger on the outside of the store for, like, what feels like 30 whole seconds and only for him to finally scream no. And it's, it's the best delivery of the fact that there could possibly be. And then they keep going back to this bookstore is like Brendan Fraser knows never go into the books, into the adult bookstore. It has poisonous gas inside of it. Especially <laughs> 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 when he goes up and like the guy who runs the bookstore, like is walking out. It's like, Hey, what's going on here? It's like, Oh, oh the adult bookstore, poison gas. Run! <laughs> I, I, I did not expect this at all, but we do eventually go inside of the adult bookstore and everything is, like, blurred out, pixelated out. And I was so surprised by that. They didn't make, like, fake, slightly porny titles. They they used real porn videos, so they just blurred out uh, the bits they needed to. I thought that right. was very funny. Yeah, and and I think that what also works about this movie is the while they're underground, there's that great contrast where you see the neighborhood evolve from like 1962 to 1999 with that one fucking oh, yeah. diner, which I love that whole yes. running gag with that guy who ends up becoming like the worshiper and just like seeing everything go from like oh like a malt shop into eventually like this abandoned dive bar <laughs> that like homeless people are hanging out in. It's such a great way of just showing that passage of time to really get you in the sense of like this is what Brendan Fraser has missed out on this whole time and what he's going back to after the end of it it's it, it's such a really well put together comedy at the same time it's like it could be just dismissed as like oh this is silly and dumb or whatever but there's actually a lot of thought that went into like what if this scenario happened and this guy came up in 1999 after being raised in like 1962 culture exactly exactly it does feel like a very well thought out movie the the movie just has this odd tone odd odd tone for a good movie to have like there there are plenty of like bad movies from this time that are trying to go for this similar tone of this weird place mainstream comedy was in at the time and like this one gets it better than probably any that i've seen really like of this type of upbeat peppy comedy yeah yeah, and I think it, it has a lot to do with, like, it feels so atypical for the director and co-writer Hugh Wilson is a guy who was mostly known for, like, he created uh, WKRP Cincinnati and wrote, like, the Bob Newhart show. So he comes from, like, sitcoms, and his biggest claim to fame was, like, making the first Police Academy. So he kind of specialized in sort of, like, sitcom-y, shticky kind of stuff. But I like in this movie that, like, there's a bit of that that's that kind of, like, charming sitcom edge to it. 
But at the same time, there's, like, like we're mentioning, like, a lot more thought going into this, like, weird sort of, like, almost sci-fi premise. Um, but, I mean, you mentioned, like, there's a lot of other great people that show up in this. Like, Dave Foley, as you kind of referenced earlier, is uh, what could be the typical 90s gay best friend character in worse hands. But I love how he isn't treated in, like, the most flamboyant way, necessarily. He's just a very understanding person who especially treats... Uh, like, Brendan Fraser, like, almost, you know, like, a kid brother. I love that, which is like, oh, champ. Like, the way he uses champ the whole time is such, like, a perfect contrast. And even when he's talking with, like, Alicia Silverstone, it feels like they have a genuine friendship. It doesn't feel like, oh, this is just, I need a gay best friend by my side. It's like, you can tell they're not hiding that he's gay, necessarily, but at the same time, he's not a very stereotypical version of that character. It feels like that comes from Dave himself, where, like, he's actually, like, you know, that's not necessarily how gay people are, really. And, like, he's, like, not trying to play a caricature, which is impressive for 1999. And then, uh, who was the other one? It was Dave Foley and uh, a little bit of Nathan Philly. And he's Alicia Silverstone's shitty boyfriend. And he's he's only in, like, two or three scenes. But, like, he's, uh, every time he pops up, I'm like, oh, Nathan Philly and cool. Because, like, he just, he just feels like a special event person for me for some reason. Especially the club scene where, like, he gets the shit beat out of him by Frazier for, like, <laughs> clearly trying to start the fight. So, and the whole time, just like, so oh, funny. I love how he just instantly just like, let's take this outside. And then he gets punched. And he's just like, well, maybe we shouldn't fight. Maybe that's immature, don't you think? He tries to, keeps trying to sucker punch him and keeps failing. <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of like the perfect contrast for Frazier, too, because Fillion can obviously play that kind of himbo thing, but he plays perfectly as just, like, sarcastic asshole with stuff like that. He Frazier cheats 100% seriously, like, earlier on, where it's like, oh, hey, nice coat. And Frazier's like, thank you, I really appreciate that compliment. <laughs> and stuff like that. He's, like, unflappable. And even in the face of this, like, yeah. asshole who's totally ragging on him. <laughs> to go back to, like, talking more about Frazier, like, I think with all this stuff we're talking about, we're like, oh, putting more thought into it. I think it's something that, like, Frazier has always put into, like, even his silliest roles. It always feels like we mentioned he treats it with, like, 110% puts everything into any part. And I think that's even the case here, too, where you can see sort of the logic bells that are going on for, like, the way his posture is, the way that he's, like, talking to certain people. Like, I love the scene at the supermarket where the two, where he's talking to the guy who's, like, selling him meat. <laughs> Mother only gave me $3,000 for groceries. <laughs> How can I possibly make all this work? It's like, well, we could have something delivered to your home. Oh, that's great. Problem is, I don't know where home is. Do you know where my home is? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're just working yeah, on that weird internal job. logic of this character in such a really charming way. I love <laughs> the idea that he is extremely wealthy, too. Like, <laughs> he, he can... He can buy and sell. He can buy anything because he has these baseball cards from his father that are like perfect mint condition from 35 years before. <laughs> so, so, yeah, like each one of the cards is apparently worth thousands of dollars and you can just toss one out. doesn't matter. He, can, he tries to use them as like tips at certain points. But, but also with the baseball card thing, I also like that it, it's a really great initial device to get the two of them together with like him and Alicia Silverstone. Like, I love how she immediately is, like, thinking of taking advantage of, like, wait, you're going to give me this baseball card that I know is worth, like, thousands of dollars just to have me drive you to the Holiday Inn? All right, fine, I'll do it. And then her coming back immediately gets you invested in her as a character, which is like, look, I thought about it. Like, I can't do this. Please take your card back. And she's like, no, it's yours. Please take it. Okay, I'll take it back. 
Like, there's not even that much yeah. of, like, a fight in it. And, like, immediately it gets you endeared to, like, oh, okay, so this is a perfect setup for, like, she has she has a job vacancy, and he has, like, this need to, like, sell off the baseball cards and find a wife and all this, and supplies and all this other stuff. He does have that, that very stated goal. I'm trying to find a wife to bring back down to my underground bunker. That's, that's a very funny thing that every time it rears its head, like, oh, yeah, that is his goal. <laughs> right, it's a movie that I also like the fact that it acknowledges that everything about, like, what his actual premise is is terrifying. With, like, when he goes to the Holiday Inn and checks in, it's just like, oh, yeah, Mother always told me that this would be such a great place, and she sure was right. God, I miss Mother. It's is my first time outside of home, you know, and the bellhop guy's like, uh... Okay, sure, buddy. And then later on, when he fully admits everything to Silverstone, you completely get why she would be like, this guy needs to be committed. This is insane. This is a horrible yeah. thing. Yeah. And, but at the same time, like, you are so in his spot. We're just like, man, it's such a bummer that, like, he's found this connection. He found, like, all this stuff. Like, I love early on the scene where, like, he, and he's, like, initially rollerblading around, and then he sees the beach outside. And he just sees, like, oh, there's water. I can go into water. Childlike wonder. He rips off his roller skates and then just kind of walks and runs into the water. Right. And like, and, uh, aren't they fully in the Silverstone? They're watching him do that. And like, that's like another one of those moments. Like, okay, this guy is very weird, but you can just see a little bit of her. That's like, yeah, but I like it. Um, I've got back to this dumbfoundedness. Like, like the first time he's outside, like he looks up into the sky and like notices the sky and is trying to point into the sky and everybody around him is just like, well, what, what in the sky, what's going on? And they're trying to find it. And he like accidentally, like it's like he causes an accident or something like trying to get people to look into the sky. Um, it's so good. It's so pure. It's so infectious. It, it really, you, you feel yeah. really just like, oh, well, why can't I have that kind of emotion? Because he's just like, a guy who doesn't take basic things for granted, that we are just always like, whatever, it's the sky. Like, I just, I, I love so many of those. sky. Right, exactly. But it's just like, you he immediately is just like, I've never seen this before, and this is so beautiful. I, I just, I love a comedy, especially is able to, like, take advantage of, like, those different perspectives, so well where it's like that contrast like we said between Silverstone and him and various other people like it, it does such a great job of immediately endearing to where like when you see him dress up like Dave Foley takes him out shopping and he's in like 90s more attire and he's like oh but the best part is my rollerblades <laughs> like that's the big thing mm-hmm. he's so excited about it's just like fucking rollerblades like a kid it's so it's so adorable it truly like it represents everything that you want out of like a himbo archetype where it's like he's a big brawny guy but he's so innocent and charming, and just like, oh, I can't stay mad at you. Look at you. Look at your smile, Brendan Fraser. <laughs> w- would you say this is probably, like, peak, in, especially in terms of, like, Fraser comedy mode for you? Oh, sure, yeah. Um, I mean, looking at his filmography, I, I don't really know that much comes close. Uh, Looting Teens Back in Action is really good, and then the, I, I guess it's... I don't know if this is fair to say, but he's mostly playing like the goofy guy in more serious movies and other stuff. And that, that works. But, uh, yeah, in terms of full on comedy, I think this is, I don't even think it's questionable. This is the peak. I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen bedazzled or monkey bone, but I, I don't know. Having seen both of those again, fairly recently, this is the peak compared to those. Especially, okay, I think it's just because, like, that's the frustrating thing is, like, what this one gets right that I think a lot of the other Frasier comedies get wrong is that they try and, like, play him up 
as more of just like, oh, that sort of like naivete is presented in more of like a like a, an aggressive fashion. Where he's just like in sure. bedazzled, he's very much just like, oh, I'm trying to like be buddy buddy and friends with everybody, but like you're not seeing how annoyed everybody is about this, despite how clearly no one is like interested in what you're doing here. Versus right. this one plays is just like he isn't being aggressive with anybody; he's just being incredibly sincere and charming, and I think that works even you know with like the the mummy and some of the other stuff that he's done, like the big action movies. They have that same kind of thing where it's like he's a very sincere, genuine person despite the fact that he's also like kicking mummy ass or whatever. And even in this movie there's a plenty of like fun physical stuff like the whole dance scene that he does. It just shows like oh he's even invested in like the physical comedy that's going on with that or the way he does yeah. walk around and stuff like that. He puts every part of his body into the performance. Fully, fully, absolutely with you. Um, and even all the way down to, I just, I also love the, the ending of this where he has everything figured out and the last scene with him and Walken after they built the house and everything, just like, dad, uh, the, the cold war's over. Russia gave up. It's just like the Ruskies give up never. <laughs> and it's just like, he's like, I love the fact that he has completely moved past this while his father who meant well, but did a horrible thing that completely you know, screwed over his the lives of like his family. At the same time, like they give him at least the enough of a courtesy happy ending of just like, well, you're up and you have your house back, but you're forever paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we do have another feature to talk about, Marcus. So, what about what are your final thoughts on a Blast from the Past? Uh, it is a very cute little movie. Can't hate it. Can't be mad at it at all. I don't know that I'll ever return to it or that I have any much interest in doing so. But like. I will think about it fondly if I ever think about it again. <laughs> I'm glad you introduced me to it. It's a, it's a, it's a fun, cute little thing. I'm, I'm very glad that I can introduce it to somebody who really enjoyed it. And I think that's that's the thing is like I love doing the show and introducing something to people out there who might not have been aware of it. Because Blast in the Past, like we mentioned, feels like it kind of really got swept under the rug, especially with Brendan Fraser. Like a couple months later is The Mummy. And that becomes like the big, oh, Brendan Fraser is becoming a big hit person out of this. But uh, at, at the same time, I think like Blast from the Past is like my favorite example of sort of like that, the himbo archetype stuff and even being like a fun 90s comedy with mostly a lack of like upsetting dated jokes. There's a couple we didn't really mention, uh, but there's like a trans joke that's a bit unfortunate and a couple other things, but yeah. it's a bit more few and far between, especially compared to a lot of 90s comedies that have not aged well necessarily. Um, this one, I think, ages mostly very well and does a, a really charming you know, twist on this concept of like, oh, it's an unlikely romantic couple, but the twist is she's a 90s gal and he's been in a bunker for 35 years. Hilarity ensues, but it, it really works. It's really charming. I just, I love the cast. I love the detail that's put into like how, you know, the contrast is between like that sort of 60s and 90s culture. It's a really charming little movie that I hope, you know, just gets more attention out there. But now... Let's get into our second feature, our bad feature, The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. After 2,000 years, a mystery lost to time is about to be unearthed. It's the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor and his army. And a legendary evil will be awoken. From Universal Pictures. Good going, Dad. He raised another mummy in his tomb. Said he had control of the five elements. I hate mummies! They never play fair! And the producers of The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. How exactly was supposed to fend them off? This summer. Tell you to fasten your seatbelts, but it was too cheap to buy any. <laughs> Why am I laughing? 
Beyond death, beyond imagination, lies an adventure that will live for all eternity. The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. So uh, The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor uh, came out August 1st, 2008, uh, and is the third in the Mummy series, which we've we've kind of mentioned here previously. Uh, Marcus, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on uh, the initial two Mummy movies, The Mummy and The Mummy Returns? Okay, so I remember from my childhood liking The Mummy a lot, and I, I know that I watched it a lot. But God, it is hard to find anything in my memory about it. Uh, the, the way that I watched Tomb of the Dragon Emperor for this was via TBS and they were doing a marathon. They showed all three of them. I only watched Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, but I caught like the last 10 or so minutes of The Mummy Returns and I recollected nothing about it of of uh, Dwayne Johnson's weird CGI Scorpion King was getting uh, killed there at the end. And I just like none of that rang any bells. I'm not sure if I ever saw this thing. I, I knew that happened. I knew the Scorpion King was a thing. I know there's like six of those movies straight to DVD, but other than seeing it memed, it did not like draw any memories to me from me seeing it. But at the same time, I have these like feelings like I know I watched the mummy. I know I played video games based on the mummy. I know I liked those things. I know I like that experience, but like trying to recall a single thing is impossible. I got nothing except for Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, which A, because I just watched it, and B, because it held a certain place in my memory that wasn't necessarily uh, great. Uh, yeah, Tommy, what, what what's your deal with the mummy movies? Uh, well, interestingly, I didn't watch the Mummy movies growing up. Uh, growing up, I had more experience with, weirdly, the the Mummy roller coaster ride over at Universal. <laughs> that was my first exposure to, like, any of these, like, Frasier, which is a really fun, like, roller coaster that's still up there, especially in Orlando side, uh, where they have, like, the, the premise of that one is that Brendan Frazier and the cast are shooting a new Mummy movie. And it came out, like, in between uh, Returns and Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. So you have, like, the ride footage, like, uh, in, while you're in line of, like, Frasier, like, saying, like, oh, yeah, we're shooting the new movie. It's going to be a lot of fun. But an actual mummy curse starts happening on the set. Um, so that was most of my exposure <laughs> to those movies until around, actually, the Tom Cruise mummy movie came out, uh, which you've covered on the show previously. And I realized, you know what? I haven't seen these movies, so I might as well do it. Um, I think The Mummy, without any, like, huge nostalgia for it, because that was, like, five years ago when I ended up watching it, um, I think is a rousing, fun blockbuster movie that still really works, has a lot of, like, the fun sort of, like, mix of early digital effects and classic practical effects. I think, uh, Frazier and Rachel Weisz have such a great chemistry together in that first movie, and there's just, like, a real, you know, charm that could only really come from around that particular time in the sort of, like, big blockbuster landscape. Really good movie. Um, The Mummy Returns feels like peak sequelitis to me, in terms of, like, it repeats so many of the same, like, set pieces, uh, includes certain characters who have no business being there anymore, and, more importantly, they had a dumb kid 
who is important to this movie. We'll get to it, but the kid is, like, so gratingly annoying <laughs> in The Mummy Returns to a degree that I'm just like, I don't get why anyone has, like, any sort of nostalgia for this one. Like, really, I get why the bigger cultural legacy of that movie is just The Rock at the end, which is one of the worst examples of CG in, like, any, like, 21st century blockbuster. It's, like, the poster child for, like, bad Real CG. Real bad. Yeah, very bad. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then Tomb of the Dragon Emperor... Um, I also watched around that time, and um, I'll say I did not like it then, and I still do not like it now, but I think the frustrating thing is, on paper, there's a lot of things that I think would make this at least a better sequel than Returns, but the problems, like, there's three massive things that are problems in this one. One... You get Rob Cohen instead of Stephen Summers, who Stephen Summers, who did like the first two my movies and also like Ben Helsing, I don't think has the best filmography. But at least makes like fun schlocky stuff. Like around the same time as his GI Joe movie, the first one of those, and I think that one's a fun schlocky bad movie for what it is. Uh, versus Rob Cohen, who won um, piece of shit person. Yeah, so a lot of accusations based on him. A huge right. fucking monster can't make a fucking right. movie to save his life. Right, because uh, even, like, the only one of his movies I kind of like is the first Fast and Furious, which has nothing to do with him. Not whatsoever. Like, right. uh, everything he is doing is actively combating the best parts of that movie. Exactly. Even though I do like that movie a lot, it is not his direction that does it. No. Um, and uh, but, but that's the yeah. first big thing. The second big thing is, obviously, I mentioned the kid earlier. Um, we have the return of Alex O'Connell, uh, played here by Luke Ford, who is a black hole of charisma. See, Brendan Fraser, like, can't do all the stunts anymore because he's, like, so physically exhausted at this point in his career. So we got a new guy that's going to lead the franchise into something terrible, awful. Luke Ford, sorry, buddy. Uh, I get why you didn't <laughs> make know. it. You're a real Alex Pettifer. Just, like, not a good actor, <laughs> necessarily. It's just, doesn't yeah, work. it's such a shame. And it's not necessarily his fault to be thrust into this position, but, like, God, yeah, he, he has nothing going for him except except for a vague resemblance to Brendan Fraser. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's that's really all he has, and it, it's so unfortunate. And then three, third, and most crucially, Maria Bello steps in to play the Evelyn O'Connell part, uh, which was played by Rachel Weisz in the first two movies. And even as, like, as much as she doesn't have a lot to do in the second movie, except have the weird flashbacks that are just like, oh, wait, I was a reincarnation of... <laughs> Um, the Arnold Vosloo's uh, previous lover or whatever is some dumb shit with that movie. At least, like, her presence and her chemistry with Frasier is enough to kind of keep you going through that very bad movie. Versus here, Bello, who's a good actress, I've seen in plenty of other things, very good, just the absolute worst person to pick to recast as Rachel Vice. Like, she doesn't have any chemistry with Frasier. The, this version of the character doesn't even resemble the character that we fell in love with in the first Mummy movie. And just any time they have the dynamic of the three of them together, like Bello, Frazier, and Ford, they don't feel like a family, no matter how many times the dynamic is, Dad, let me do my thing on my own. Now, son, you shouldn't do that. And Marie Bello's like, oh, no, Mommy's here, don't worry. All that shit, terrible. <laughs> so bad. It does not work whatsoever. I, I don't... I don't buy that any of them care about each other. I actually think they actively hate each other is what it comes off as. Right. Uh, <laughs> like this, this family really hates each other. Uh, Brendan Fraser and Maria Bella, they're living this totally unhappy life where, where like, it seems like 
they actively dislike each other. They don't like being around each other. They do not love each other. They're just mad about their son and uh, awkwardly eat dinners together sometimes while they're off doing their own shit for the rest of the day, which is which what they're doing is fantasizing about not being where they are anymore, even though they're living in a fucking pristine mansion with like butlers and stuff <laughs> like like and like they just hate it and seem to have just the the faintest connection to each other a spark that was gone a long time ago one that I don't really buy was ever there and I guess I guess like I don't necessarily have that Rachel Vice connection cuz like again I don't remember fuck I should have watched all three of them if I had the time but like I I trust you that Brendan Fraser and Rachel Vice play off each other better than Brendan Fraser and Maria Bello here. Uh, not, not that either of them are doing a bad job. It's just less chemistry, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't blame Bello necessarily for that. And even Frazier, I think is like, the thing is he is a lot more in like sort of his Frazier mode in this movie than he was even in mommy returns. There's a bit more of like that kind of goofy charm we're talking about. Like he's introduced learning to fly fish, which I think is like a fun bit. Yeah, that, that is good. And then he just right. starts shooting. He pulls out a gun. Men do or whatever. Like, that's a, there are charming go. moments of him. It's not at all on him. But yeah, just him and Bella don't have the chemistry that I do think him and Weiss have, particularly in the first movie. Like, the, the biggest charm of that movie, the greatest special effect, is the two of them growing to have a romantic relationship with each other in a way that totally works. And I think it's like one of the better examples of, like, I think a blockbuster on screen. Uh, romantic chemistry in the last several years i would say uh but at the same time despite like a lot of these complaints we're talking about there is stuff where i'm like this could be like a fun different take on like a mommy movie with like you have the main uh dragon emperor who's uh, played by jet lee who is a guy that like uh becomes obsessed with like terracotta sort of like army stuff like the opening scene is him basically being turned into a terracotta um, I'm sorry, I think I keep mispronouncing that. The the stone warrior guys from, like, the Qin, I believe, dynasty of China. That's a cool idea, and especially, like, stuff like him, like, breaking apart and having the weird, like, burnt-up look underneath. I think that there's cool stuff in that. There are dragons that pop up in this movie. There are yetis that show up. Like, my favorite set piece of the whole movie is the yeti thing. It's so weird and bizarre, but, like, in a kind of fun way. But it's constantly pulled back by, like, those three major problems. That Rob Cohen can't shoot it for shit. Luke Ford is trying to be a badass, and it's like, no, honey, no, you can't do it. And Maria Bello, once again, just does not have any of that chemistry with Frazier. So when you're trying to see, like, oh, they have that lack of spark at the beginning of the movie, but they grow to have it again after having this new adventure with each other, it do- it fizzles. All that shit just ruins any potential with this kind of dumb but fun concept for, like, a new Mummy movie. And uh, we haven't mentioned them really yet at all, but Jet Li and Michelle Yeoh, their whole thing in China, it just feels like it's a different movie. The movie starts out with what feels like 15 minutes of fucking exposition of Michelle Yeoh explaining this whole backstory of who the, the, the Dragon Emperor was and what he did. It goes on for far too long. It, it is horribly boring. I was just praying for it to end. And then they disappear for, like, I don't know, 45 minutes while some, like, weird double-crossing is going on between Brendan Fraser and all these other characters. And then finally they pop back up. Even when they are directly on the same screen with each other, it does not feel like they're on the same screen with each other in, like, such a weird way that I cannot really explain, but it's just, like, 
they're not in the same movie. They 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 think they're doing different things. They are doing different things, and I can't really tell what either of them are really going. Like Brendan Fraser's side is kind of like this fun Indiana Jones romp, and then Michelle Yao's side is this epic war film set in the whatever 14th century China and one of them would have been a lot more interesting like both of them are great on their own but you can't like bringing them together it doesn't doesn't work but I I, I cannot say that this movie is completely terrible I I did enjoy I, I want to go back and say I did see this in theaters because I like the mummy movies uh, my aunt took me to it and I remember both of us disliking it immensely and I remember both of us like shitting on it in the car on the ride home and like laughing about it I was 12 years old at the time I, I think this is like one of my first exposures to like oh this is a bad movie and I didn't like it right because there's a certain age where like no movie is bad but then that first movie happens where it's like oh this disappointed me and it's terrible <laughs> yeah wh- what came out first is this or spider-man 3 Spider-Man 3 was the year before. Okay, so Spider-Man 3 was my first exposure to it, where I came out of that theater and I was just like, like, what? Like, like hold on, I, I didn't like that. Like, that that's not possible, is it? And and then, yeah, like, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor later, I was like, yeah, this sucks. Like, this is a bad movie. <laughs> so it does kind of hold a hold a special place in my heart for that reason. It was the loss of innocence moment for you, basically. The loss of innocence, exactly, <laughs> yes. Yes, this film is very formative for me. <laughs> I, for the record, I would say uh, Spider-Man 3 holds up a bit better than I would say Tomb of the Dragon Emperor does. There's I, I believe Sam it. Raimi it's been show. many years since I've seen it, yeah. Right, right, I but... But there's not really much of that in here, even though I agree. A lot of the stuff were particularly, like, there's a whole setup for, like, Jet Li and Michelle Yeoh to fight each other, which I think is, like, great. That sounds like a fun idea, and they are at least committed, but it's, once again, Rob Cohen can't shoot fucking martial arts action for shit. Can't shoot for shit. It is the worst. (laughs) These two, these two fucking screen icons we know from film history that these two michelle yao and jet lee can both do this kind of wire foo action shit better than goddamn anybody you want it to be a matrix fight you want it to be anything other than what it is just this terrible 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 like minute or two long completely dead fight scene with rapid cutting that will not stop it has no rising action that Michelle Yao kills herself at the end of it. And it does not feel like she's killing herself. There's literally no sound effect and not in a way that's like, Oh, the sound dropped out. It's like they just forgot to put a sound effect in or didn't think that a sword piercing through her body should make a sound effect. But when ultimately that is the thing that kills her, it's so infuriating how, and, and it's, it's not even how it's shot. It's how it's cut too. Where it's just like they don't have any confidence to show more than half a second of this thing at a time. Because they just got to cut, 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 cut to show us from different angles. And that style of action editing, even just like a, a few minutes later when when uh, Maria Bello and Brenda Fraser are up there knocking skeletons away or whatever uh, with their uh, guns and shooting them and stuff. It works decently well in that sequence. But like you just got to know... like what you have when you have it 
and know what to do. Right, because that kind of style works a bit better for the Indiana Jones side of things you're talking about, as opposed yes. to whenever it's like the Michelle Yeoh or Jet Li elements, it feels like they're trying to be either like Hero or Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And it's like an American studio poorly trying to translate that, which happened a lot in the 2000s, but this feels like the tail end of that era, where it's just like, uh, we're not even going to put any kind of fucking effort into that, whatever, you know, it's these two, you saw them in fun martial arts movies, here's them in a bad one. Yeah, yeah. You cannot say enough bad things about that one fight scene. I almost never want to stop talking about it. Right. Well, there's other bad things I want to bring up. Uh, like, we haven't talked about <laughs> John Hanna yet, uh, who is the recurring element, along with Frazier, is the only person to appear in all three of these movies. And Hanna was, like, the comedic relief sort of dude who would show up uh, because he uh, plays Evelyn's uh, brother. And in the other two movies, he's kind of charming, especially in the original moment. He works as, like, a fine comedic relief that isn't used too much. Uh, in the second one, they barely, they just have him there, and he's barely, like, anything of an entity. Uh, but which is pretty bad, but also, in contrast, this movie overuses him. And there are so many, like, aggressively awful comic relief things for me, with, like, yeah. oh, his ass catches on fire and just, like, spank my ass, spank my ass! <laughs> and then, particularly, the bit where I think the movie reaches a massive low that it never really recovers from when they're in the plane and Liam Cunningham is flying them over and uh, there's a yak in the back. Uh, there's a little yak that's like right next to John Hanna and they stop the plane nearly like goes over a cliff and they stop and then they look back like, oh, what's that smell? And then John Hanna actually says, the yak yacked. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> Uh, I'll say, I'll say, I'll say the the one of the things from him that did genuinely make me laugh is the very last thing they do in the movie is really funny. He gets away with the gem and he gets in the in the taxi cab and says, uh, "I'm get I'm going to a place where there's no mummies. We're going off to Peru." And then it pops up with a little card that says, "Soon after, mummies were discovered in Peru." <laughs> It's actually very good. Which feels like a weird, like, it's both a joke and a bit of sequel bait, too, which is like, oh, we're going to Peru next for mummies? Or whatever. Oh, yeah, which, I guess it kind of is. Right. Which, like, is. I think there was a world where, like, if the Mummy Returns hadn't followed so close to the original movie, where, like, that could be fun of, like, a globe-trotting adventure movie where, like, oh, new mummies, different cultures. That could be, like, a fun setup for your series. But when you introduce it here and... The big thing I, I kind of referenced earlier, that, like, Frazier was so devoted to, like, doing his stunts in the initial two movies, um, especially, that, like, he really screwed up his back. Like, he got, like, severe back injuries. Like, if you watch the original uh -huh. Mummy, there's a point where his character is being hung, and you see, like, a brief millisecond of, like, the Frazier's character, like, being, like, hanged at, like, the at the stocks or whatever. That's actually Frazier, and he was actually hung during that bit, oh like, for a God. second. They had to, like, cut him loose immediately. But it was, like, for oh a second, God. it was almost like he almost died on that set. So by the point of Mommy Toon and the Dragon Emperor, he was, like, literally being put together by, like, ice packs. I think it really shows, sadly, where, like, he's obviously putting all of his stuff into, like, the, the comedic bits and stuff, but during the action scenes, they very clearly have to cut around him, and it's such a shame. That is really unfortunate. I, I did not know that. That 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 idea sounds so romantic that I'm I'm the action star and I get to do all my stunts. And you see how it worked out for Tom Cruise, where everything went absolutely perfectly, it seems. And uh, yeah, it's just a shame that there is that extra side to it. That like, yeah, it could go terribly and it could ruin your life, which it seems like it did with Frazier. Now you're saying it, and that that's a 
That's entirely unfortunate. But doesn't he even feel like that in this movie that they're trying to cut around that? Because like I think the biggest stunt he does in this movie is a bit where he like slides with two guns. Slides off the ice, yeah. Yeah, like that's it. I think they, they really try to like awkwardly cut around him, which removes some of that fun that from the other two movies. I, yeah, I believe you. I believe you. That whole ice temple scene or whatever um, is my favorite scene in the movie. Um, it's it's the one it's the one action set piece that I was like genuinely enjoying. They're fighting mummies. Uh, they're trying to blow up this uh, monastery kind of thing, and they're to try to keep the dragon emperor from getting something or try to kill him. I don't know what they're trying to do, but like it it was really successful to me. And I think the that whole action set piece is like straight out of Uncharted two, like down to a T. Like they're they're literally fighting. Yeti-like creatures in Uncharted 2 in a Tibetan monastery that looks exactly like this in the snow. Brendan Fraser is even wearing like the same, co- like almost the same coat uh, Nathan Drake has in Uncharted 2. It, it's so crazy how similar those two se- the those set pieces were to me. And really, the only reason I liked it in the movie is probably because it reminded me of the game. Yeah, I think that's the stuff where it feels the most, at least, kind of, like, silly and fun in a way that, like, you know, we're kind of removed from the, obviously, like, the original Mummy movie, which had, like, plenty of, like, fun, sillier moments, but it's, like, it feels like we're kind of escalating, where it's just like, oh, there are Yeti we're fighting Yetis. Now. We're just fighting right. Yetis out in the snow, like, fuck it. <laughs> right, I almost was just like, why didn't we have these Yetis keep going? Like, have the Yetis as sidekicks. Have them, like, just keep fucking going with the guys. That'd be fun. Like, have them keep on just, like, going with the fucking road. Just, like, fighting against, like, yeah. the dragon yeah. at the end of it or whatever. That would have been fun. And you know what? Uncharted 2 did that. The Yetis kept coming back even when they didn't make sense, and then they made them make sense with the plot. And that's what you gotta do. You gotta keep the Yetis going. That's how you make a good thing. I would have vastly preferred that over, by the end of the movie, they have to raise an army, and the army is, like, these, like, skeletons, which, you know, I love me some Army of Darkness. I love me a good skeleton army. But oh, sure. they are so, like, it's all so brown. Like, the fight between them and the Terracotta yeah. Warrior Armors, it's just, like, it's two big brown masses just, like, hitting each other. It's nothing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That is, yes, yes, it is. Uh. <laughs> and it's just nothing. This movie just looks a lot uglier than even the other two movies, which had, like, kind of, like, a sandy, kind of, like, sapia tone look to them. And this one has a weird thing where it's trying to be glossy like a 2008-era blockbuster, but also uh, they can't help but, like, oh, let's, like, really muddy everything up, which kind of works for, like, obviously the terracotta guys. That makes sense. But yeah, even just, like, they look the good. look of everything, it looks, like, um, far more even, like, fake, and it doesn't have any of that kind of, like, rustic lived-in charm that the original movies had. When we're seeing the two armies go at it at the end, there's nothing to it that, like, sells you on it. Like, it does not feel like a big... 300 like going up against the masses how they have the or lord of the rings how it feels like the battlefield goes on forever they didn't have the budget for that or something or the time or whatever so they only like copy and pasted like 12 groups of warriors instead of 700 so like it just it looks like a pretty small army like we he can't take over the world with this army yeah, it feels it feels kind of like it's the last lingering thread of like those sort of like turn of the millennium blockbusters because we mentioned this is like came out in summer two thousand eight. This is like a couple weeks into the Dark Knight being out, and the Iron Man has already been so popular. This summer was such a big bellwether. We've talked about it many times on the show for like what blockbuster cinema would be afterward, and this feels like it's the last lingering thread of just like oh, what about a two thousands era blockbuster? 
as opposed to being much grimmer, darker, or building a multiverse like we would have uh, in like the summers to come. At this point, yeah. this feels like it's the a dark relic. Universe. Or, that's true. But the dark universe is only a few, <laughs> years, like about nine years away after this. <laughs> is it only nine years in between? <laughs> that's so. Yeah, funny yeah, twenty seventeen. Yeah, right. It's <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's so crazy. I, I, I haven't. I still have not seen that new mummy. All I've seen is that that trailer, that trailer cut that doesn't have the that has his screams fully visible. There's no sound out other than his screams. I mean, you, you've it's seen the best the version of the movie. Things. Then that that the IMAX <laughs> trailer without the, the sound is amazing. But yeah, I think that also it feels similarly like this and uh, that mummy to that 2017 kind of feel of a piece in terms of like they both feel kind of like relics of, like, a particular time in blockbuster cinema, where that one is much more of, like, we will look back at that movie as, like, oh, this is how you absolutely failed to try and do, like, an Avengers-style universe thing. This is, like, hubris on the highest level for that, versus this one feels like it's just coasting on the coattails of, like, you guys like the Mummy movies, right? It's fine. We can just do some dumb shit, but Brendan Fraser's here, so it doesn't matter, right? That's all we, we, we have, just him and John Hannah. You don't even need Rachel Weisz, right? For us to, like, keep you interested. And unfortunately, no. We, uh, we need a bit more than that, man. Yeah. 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 This thing just, it doesn't work. And the more that we're talking about it, the more I dislike it. Because uh, actually, while I was watching it, I was kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. But now that we're talking about it, and I'm like just thinking about everything that's wrong with it, I'm like, fuck this, fuck this, fuck this. <laughs> well, that seems like a good segue into final thoughts then, Marcus, if you have any other Final thoughts besides fuck no. this for Mummy Tomb of the no, Dragon. No, I don't. I never want to watch this again. I'm going to get that. Eventually, I'm going to get that 4K collection of the three. And maybe I'll watch it through that. I, I keep putting it off. Every time I see it for like 20 bucks or whatever, I'm like, eh, maybe go a little bit lower. And I I will eventually probably watch it again through that way. But I'm not looking forward to it. I don't. I don't hate it. I just, it's just not good. It's not what you want it to be. And yeah, you're right. It feels like just this last weird little puttering out of something that could have been nice. Like it, it, that, like this, these first, the first movie, the second movie, like they could have just been nice little things and they have to become not that because we have to make money and that sucks. <laughs> that sucks. Like we, we're not doing it for the art anymore. We're not doing it for the fun. We're doing it for the money and like that. That is what this is. That is what this feels like to AT. Yeah, even for Frazier, even though as much as he's getting invested in trying to do this as much as he can physically, uh, the only reason you can tell he did this was because I believe they paid him like $25 million to come back for this okay. Well, good for him. Good for him. Get, get your bag. bag. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> get, get it. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, this is definitely... like I. I would never buy that set, quite frankly, because I don't like Mummy Returns. <laughs> I do, and I definitely don't like this particular movie. I would buy a 4K of just the first Mummy. That sounds like a fun time. I'd watch that movie several times, as opposed to yeah, this one, where despite the fact that there are fun elements that I think could have made this at least, I don't think this could have ever been a good movie. Even if you had like Rachel Weisz in it, a better version of Luke Ford, even a better director than Rob Cohen, I still think there's some fundamental things that like would not make this necessarily a good movie. But this could have been at least a more watchable, fun follow-up to The Mummy than The Mummy Returns. But with all the massive problems that are there, like, it is still, like, it is definitely one of the worst examples of, like, a puttering out of a trilogy of sorts. For, uh, especially a series that didn't really need to be 
necessarily a franchise since the first one is great but if you were gonna do that i wouldn't have minded doing something like this globetrotting fun adventure with a new mummy and all this other stuff uh just not like this to paraphrase the no, matrix not like not, not like, like this. this that's those are the no. words those are <laughs> yes. the words that go by for sure for sure uh well that's the end of us just talking about our double feature but we do have our weekly segment we love doing here the double redo double redo so uh, the double redo is a segment that Adam and I usually do every week in which uh, we talk about, you know, a good and a bad feature we bring to the table in reference to uh, the topic. And so uh, I have a couple picks. And Marcus, I believe you have a couple picks as well for that. I do. I do. I did bring some picks. Great. So, um, yeah, I'll start off with mine. So my good and bad feature here for Mr. Brendan Fraser. Um, I will say uh, my I'll start off with my good here, which is one of his more dramatic turns that came out uh, around the time of the original Mummy. Um, I have Gods and Monsters, which is a movie that's a sort of uh, biopic about the last days of the director James Whale, who did uh, the original Bride of Frankenstein and Frankenstein back in the 30s, the Universal Monster movies. And he's played by Ian McKellen. And uh, the movie mainly follows like him, like I said, during his like last few days on Earth. And uh, while he is at his home, uh, his housekeeper hires a new gardener, who's played by Brendan Fraser. Whale, who was known as like one of the few publicly homosexual people in Hollywood around that time, like the 30s and 40s, um, ends up growing an attraction to Fraser, uh, but at the same time is a bit more guarded. I think it's a really great sort of turn for Fraser because it does such a great job of like embracing what we're talking about, like kind of like that himbo charm that is like very silly and over the top and blast from the past. But here, it's just very understated and just very charming in a way where you can see why McKellen and him grow to at least have a friendship that McKellen has a bit more of, like, a vested interest in. And I think it's a really well-done movie for, like, McKellen's great, Frazier's great. It's uh, made by Bill Condon, who uh, won a Screenplay Academy Award for this movie. And I think there are some issues with the scripts where I wouldn't say that's necessarily the biggest award it should have won necessarily, but I think it's a very interesting look at sort of that era of Hollywood, especially about, you know, a man who can't really be himself as much around people and what that ended up causing him to be kind of ostracized from Hollywood after a certain point in his career. Um, And then my bad pick um, is another movie that came out not just in 1999, alongside Blast from the Past, but also is from the same director, Hugh Wilson. Uh, I have Dudley Do-Right, which is based on the cartoon that uh, ran alongside with like Rocky and Bullwinkle, where if you're unaware of this, uh, this was a cartoon in which uh, that was kind of like a parody of silent films in which uh, Dudley Do-Right is like a Canadian Mountie who is just and right and true and has to try and save his girlfriend Nell from Sidely Whiplash, who is a guy that literally ties her to the train tracks like every episode or whatever. And uh, this is the live-action version of that. And um, I remember I was one of the few who saw this one in the theater as well because of how much I love George the Jungle, which was based similarly on um, another Rocky and Bullwinkle uh, companion cartoon. And uh, unlike George of the Jungle, uh, this one is nearly devoid of laughs. Um, it has a lot of just Frazier trying to do physical comedy and not quite working. He has no real chemistry with Sarah Jessica Parker, who plays his love interest. A lot of their scenes just kind of like putter off awkwardly. The only sort of funny element of this movie is uh, Sadly Whiplash 
is played by Alfred Molina. And he is having a lot of fun with this role. He is trying his best to produce some kind of comedy out of this. And I think he has a couple of fun bits. Like, there's a point where he takes over the town, and he's at a bar, and he talks to one of his lackeys who's running the bar, and he says, uh, free round of drinks for everybody. Wait, 50% off. Wait, everyone pays double price. <laughs> like, stuff like that. That's charming and fun, and it feels like he's embracing kind of like the, the over-the-top, sort of like literally mustache-twirling villain part. Uh, but for the most part, uh, it is a deadly unfunny comedy. I have seen neither. Uh, Gods and Monsters sounds nice. Uh, I will never watch Deadly Do Right. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to do it. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess that's what this I was begging him for, to right? right before the show, but like, please, you got to see Deadly Do Right. I'll wait. <laughs> please, please it's only it. 75 minutes long. You could fit it in. <laughs> oh, my God. It's barely a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, so I'm not going to be able to talk as much about mine. I have not seen one of them in many years. Um, and that's my good one, which is Airheads, which is another example of Brendan Fraser in my childhood. Um, he plays like a drummer in a, a band that takes over a radio station trying to get their song played. Uh, they take the radio DJ hostage because they want their song to get played on the on the air. The other people are other people in the band are Adam Sandler and Steve Buscemi, and uh, it's a funny, weird movie um, that like it kind of doesn't necessarily fit in with the other Happy Madison films because it's back in the '90s before that style was fully set in stone. Adam Sandler and uh, Brendan Fraser did just have a reunion um, on a variety actors on actors special for the Oscars because they're both uh, going up one for the whale and Adam Sandler for uh, hustle, which uh, he's very good in. It'd be cool if he got nominated. He won't. Or if he did, if he did, I, I guess I didn't see it and pay attention to the fucking globes, especially because of this shit, especially because of our star today, the subject of our show today. I did not pay attention to the golden globes. Um, but Airheads, good time. I give it my seal of proof for what that's worth. <laughs> but, um, my bad movie I could probably talk more about. It's, uh, a movie that Brendan Fraser is barely in, but it is something that I would encourage everybody to stay away from, like the poisonous gas inside of an adult bookstore. Um, it's Dickie Roberts, former child star. David Spade plays Dickie Roberts. He used to be a child star and he has this, uh, big idea for a comeback, um, where he's going to like make like a real movie this time, but he never grew up like with a real family. He didn't know what that life was like because he was in Hollywood with kind of like a not so good family. And so he decided he's going to shack up with this family for a while to like study them for his role as a person who had, who a kid who had a family is it's a funny enough idea. And you know, the movie's not good, but it's somewhat charming. Like in that 2000 David Spade way, if you have any sort of nostalgia for him or for happy Madison in general, like I'm sure it'd work for some reasons, but I watched like a bit of it last week on TV again, and it's, oh, it's pretty bad. It, it, does, it does not, it was, it was one that I watched over and over as a dumb kid who didn't know anything, who hadn't seen Spider-Man 3 yet and realized that movies could be bad. Yeah, I just, it's not good, don't watch it. Uh, Brendan Fraser's barely in it. He has like a cameo as himself, basically, like probably just 
because he was friends with Adam Sandler from doing his SNL or some shit. Dickie Roberts, former child star. My not seal of approval getting movie of the week. My negative seal of approval. <laughs> my, my unsealed approval. My, <laughs> yes, that's it. Unsealed approval. But yeah, uh, I have not seen Dickie Roberts' childhood star. Uh, I already had that position of dumb early 2000s era David Spade comedy I watched a lot as a kid uh, who was kind of dumb that was already filled by Joe Dirt. Oh, perfect. That one's good. It, it holds, holds up. It better than I expected, I will say. It's not yeah. great, but no, I, I think it's a bit more fun and charming than you'd expect. Yeah. Um, but then uh, for the other one, though, I will say I did recently watch Airhead, spurred on by, as you mentioned, that Variety interview, which if you have not watched that, folks, out there, it is such a good time to see the two of them as Sandler okay. and Frazier back and forth. It's especially the whole thing where Frazier describes Sandler's various parts about just like, he doesn't play losers. He plays underdogs who aren't considered. And it's like, oh, beautiful. <laughs> so perfect for Frazier. But uh, that spurred me to watch Airheads, despite the fact that it is not readily available, really. I think that's a big trouble. So, like, I remember it played a lot on Comedy Central when I was younger, but it just isn't really that available to like rent or stream or anything that's like that. That's unfortunate. Uh, but I was able to watch it, and I would say um, I had a fun time with it. I think it's especially interesting given you mentioned like that whole dynamic between uh, Frazier, Buscemi, and Sandler. It's a bit off kilter from like the the Happy Madison productions. I believe this is the first time Buscemi and Sandler were in a movie together, and they are a lot of fun. You can tell it instantly, like oh, they have the rapport, so you can like really make that work. And it almost makes you wish that like Sandler and Frazier had been in more movies together. I think they have a very interesting chemistry in that. It's where, like, Frazier's the much more, like, cocksure, like, I am sort of, like, the main hero of this. And Sandler's much more shy and awkward in, like, the way a lot of his earlier characters were. And I kind of miss that Sandler in particular. Um, But there's also a lot of, like, fun people. Like, Joe Montagna plays the radio DJ, and he's a lot of fun. Um, Ernie Hudson plays the main cop who's, like, at the scene. And his lackey is played by Chris Farley. I think one of the better uses of Farley in the movie, I would say, especially in, like, a supporting part. And I think, especially with the premise that, like, oh, they're kind of fake holding up this place hostage, like, they have guns that are filled with, like, water or whatever. <laughs> like, that could not age as well, necessarily, depending on the situation right now, especially. Uh, but I think it, it's very, like, loose and fun and very 90s. And I think that one's a solid ride. I would recommend, if you can watch it, I would second that recommendation, that second seal of approval. Okay, good, good. I'm glad to hear that, because I, I was kind of going based off of not much. Not much, just kind of a vague memory of thinking it's good. Right, and we just spurred this on. You're sort of like, ah, oh, fuck, oh, what's a good Frasier one? Uh, fuck, <laughs> I know. I, I, look, there's a couple I could have said, but, like, I wasn't going to say The Mummy, because that's too obvious. I wasn't, I, I could have said Looney Tunes back And based on what you were there. saying, you didn't have a lot to go on with The Mummy either. You would have been like, ah, oh, fuck. I, it's no, mummy's I wouldn't have. And I wouldn't I have with Looney Tunes either. I just would have been like, this was good, I think. <laughs> I just trusted my gut with Airheads more. I, th- I figured if I watched Airheads again, I would love it. Yeah, fun time. Uh, but let us repeat our titles for everybody out there in case you might have missed them. Uh, for my good, I had Gods and Monsters. And for my bad, I had Dudley Do-Right. And for my good, I had uh, Airheads, and for my bad, I had Dickie Roberts' former child star. Yes, uh, and we'll be getting to the end of our show uh, here, but we'll be doing our picking at the very end, uh, so stay tuned for that, uh, where we'll pick our movies for next week's episode. But uh, until then, uh, we have to do some thank yous here. First, we want to thank Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used for our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Christian Thorlally for our artwork uh follow him at night of water that's night with a k underscore of underscore water 
for all of his great stuff on various socials. And thanks, of course, to our Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash dedbpod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to do stuff like listen to bonus podcasts we put out, and also vote in polls for individual movies or even topics that we cover for the show. And this week, you all are getting a pretty sizable heaping of that, because uh, first, we'll have a poll up this week for uh, one of two topics for January to cover, uh, which is an interesting little random grab bag where uh, we have The Last of Us is coming out, so one of your options for potential topic for us to cover would be post-apocalyptic movies. And the other option uh, is Julianne Moore, because she has a couple movies coming out sharper and uh, when you're finished saving the world. So you all get to vote on whether we cover movies starring Julianne Moore or movies about the post-apocalypse, uh, which will be <laughs> a fun time either way, I'm sure. Um, and then uh, you all also get to listen to a bonus podcast that should be up around the time this has already been posted up on the Tuesday, which is uh, our monthly podcast we like putting out for everybody. And this one is uh, Adam and I sharing our top 10 favorite directors so we go back and forth we each mention you know wow. various different directors that we love dearly and that is i believe aside from like audio commentaries or the march madness stuff um the longest podcast we've ever done just adam and i together it's a solid wow. two hours Excited to hear of that. that so if you missed adam on this particular episode there's plenty of them over on the patreon um, and then we'll also be doing um, the show that we love talking about, uh, where we talk about recent releases. And um, it'll be me and not Adam, uh, because one, he is sick, and two, he refuses to see this movie on principle. Uh, but um, myself and um, previous guest, a friend of the show, Hyal Peralta, will be talking all about Avatar, The Way of Water, which I have plenty of thoughts on. I just uh, saw it right before I recorded here with Marcus. Uh, so the two of us, me and Hyal, will talk extensively about that one. But Adam, like I said, refuses on principle. He is a big Avatar hater. <laughs> will not go and see it. Hey, have fun with that, Adam. <laughs> have fun being sick over there, motherfucker. Have fun with your flu <laughs> instead of going to Pandora. <laughs> we love you, Adam. But, um, yeah, so That's all right. of that is available to uh, those who become Edgelord patrons for just $1 a month, all that bonus content. And uh, that includes somebody who's on this very episode who I want to thank too, Marcus, who is a patron. Thank you so much for, one, being a patron, giving us your cold, hard cash, and two, coming on the show and helping me out on a pinch. Really appreciate that. Happy to do it anytime, Tommy. Anytime Adam's sick, you call me. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I had I had a very good time doing it. I'm, I'm glad I finally got to be on the show. I, I had plans to do it before, and I watched both the good and the bad movie for another episode, that, and it just didn't work out. I wish I got to talk about them, but I was supposed to be on Spoofs 2, and I had to watch Stan Helsing in Hoobly. Yeah, I'm Not so good. sorry you had to watch Stan Helsing. <laughs> <laughs> Not even talk about that was, it. That was a <laughs> dreadful time. This is your time if you want to do that. It's been some time just Stan Helsing bad, right? It's pretty bad. I, I've been trying to push it out of my brain, but it still unfortunately sits there a little bit. Look, I like the performers, and that's about the best I can say. Every single attempt at comedy fails uh horrendously uh, they don't even read as attempts at comedy it's one of the worst things i've ever seen it, it's, a, it's 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 bad man i wish i didn't watch it yeah but that pretty much mirrors our thoughts adam and i had very similar things to say on the episode for sure. good i'm glad to hear yes. that because jesus christ right uh but, but why don't you uh while yeah. you're still here and before you go mad rethinking about san helsing uh please uh plug yourself where can people find you on the internet okay and your projects yes 
please, uh, you know, follow me on Twitter at junkblader, uh, B-L-A-D-E-R. Um, and you can also, you know, play, uh, video games with me. I'm also that on like every single thing. You can find me anywhere with that type with junk blader and also i host a podcast with former double edge double bill guest uh, marcelo j pico host a podcast with him about the film southland tales and the works of richard kelly the director of donnie darko southland tales and the box um we are on our inexplicably we have like 30 or so episodes of that and we are going to continue doing that we've had tommy on Two of our episodes, and uh, I can announce it here, a third to come, uh, and <laughs> uh, it's always been a very fun time. I've enjoyed talking to Tommy about that, so if you like Double Edge, Double Bill, definitely check out uh, episode, I want to say you were on episode 11 of uh, Breakdown of Southland Tales? Or I mean, it's the one where Justin Timberlake sang. That was the main thing I remember. Like we- He's got the best part of the movie. Tommy's got the right. best part of the movie. Hell yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think it's episode nine. And, uh, um, and yeah, uh, yeah, just go listen to that show. It's so good. I didn't even say the name of the show. <laughs> Have a nice apocalypse is the name of the show. Apocalypse, but like pod with, with a podcast, a podcalypse. Uh, have fun looking that up. Well, we, our, our most recent episode, we had, uh, uh, filmmaker Vera Drew on, who is yes. uh, in the news for making a illegal uh, Joker parody film that won't get released, and we all want it to be released. Uh, Warner Bros. Discovery, get your shit together. Let her put the movie out. James um, Gunn, give her a call. Do it. James Gunn, please, man. You'd love the movie if you saw it. Uh, <laughs> I know you listen, James. <laughs> big big DEDB pod fan, James Gunn. <laughs> <laughs> the whole DC that's universe is being got, charted yeah. by our dumb thoughts on this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and I'll also say, uh, one, the Vera Drew podcast was great. I listened to that. It was a very oh, good episode of your show. Um, I also, I like the stuff you've been doing with Marcelo. Right now you're doing all the Oscar stuff. Where you're talking about the, the best actors and actresses and stuff, yeah. Yeah, weekly me and Marcelo have a show coming out where we're just... Leading up to the Oscars, we're doing an episode a week where we go through, like, uh, we've done Best Actor and Best Supporting Actress so far. We're about to do Best Supporting Actor. Um, record that soon here. Yeah, you can listen to those over at uh, Talk Film Society. Um, the I, I think the official podcast is, like, the Talk Film Society podcast. Uh, TalkFilmSociety.com will find you there. TalkFilmSociety.com slash awards, I think, will get you there. If you're listening on the same feed, you know, that you're listening to this particular show on, you know, the Talk Film Society feed, uh, they're also there. They're like a few Yeah, yeah, up. right there. Just cl- click, uh, click, click uh, back and then click more episodes and then click on one of those. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not, I think that's everything, Tommy. Thank you for letting me plug so much. <laughs> no problem. Uh, for more of us and our rinky-dink operation, uh, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at DEDBpod. And we also, uh, you can submit feedback to us uh, either there or at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, for more of me, find me on Twitter and letterboxes at NotTheWho'sTommy. I also do some writing at both uh, marianitomas.wordpress.com and at film-cred.com. And uh, if you want to follow Adam, even though he's not here, uh, you can find him on Instagram at Atom or Adam. That's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. Or he's also Schwanson 
on Letterboxd. Uh, that's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. And uh, for more of us in general on in audio form, you can, you know, Follow us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, other podcasting platforms out there, or even on the Talk Film Society main podcast feed, where you can listen to us or Marcus's show or a bunch of other great shows. Uh, just uh, you know, download and listen so to a bunch of them. So many shows, great work so, we have there. So many of them, yes. And uh, you can also dig into the archives on our Podbean main feed for like 200 episodes before we even joined Talk Film Society. So many. Oh my God, did. there's so much back there. I got to dig into. Whole backlog, yes, that you can find over there on our Podbean main feed. If nothing else, if you can't, you know, support us on the Patreon, that's totally cool. Money can always be tight. The free way to help us out is to rate, review, or share the show around. That gets us more visibility out there in the ether of the algorithms. Woo! Get us out there. And, you know, also just to mention, uh, happy holidays to everybody. Uh, you know, whether it's Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate, uh, happy holiday season to all of you out there. Well, now uh, it's time to end the show, as we always do, by doing our picking for next week. Uh, as we normally do, uh, Adam and I come to the table with either two good, two bad movies. So we switch up on the quality for who has the good, who has the bad. And uh, we assign numbers between 1 and 10 for them. And uh, we, you know, end up uh, saying for the other person's choice, or a guest will sometimes do this, like Marcus will be doing. Because uh, I have Adam's picks and my picks as well for this upcoming topic. Marcus will pick a number between 1 and 10. And he and uh, I will say, well, that's closest to number 6 or something, which is this particular movie is at that particular spot. And uh, that gives us the good and the bad feature. We also usually have the Godfather rule. We're abstaining from that because Adam is not here. He cannot use his veto that he currently has. So next time he's on, he'll have the potential to use that. Uh, but the topic that we'll be doing the picking for um, in honor of Pale Blue Eye is coming out, which is the movie where uh, Christian Bale and Dudley Dursley as Edgar Allan Poe try and solve a mystery. Uh, it's an example of sort of historical fiction. Uh, and uh, we're doing that as a topic as picked by our patrons who voted in a poll uh, for that one to be the topic, which is interesting because it's uh, not as often discussed, especially in film form. Uh, and it's basically just stories that are related to past events or people, but at the same time are overall fictitious. I think it's an interesting topic. I'm curious to see uh, which one we end up with between... Uh, I'll go ahead and start, uh, Marcus, for Adam's two good choices. Please pick a number between 1 and 10. All right, Tommy. Uh, this is very hard. This is very, very hard for me. Okay, so the numbers one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Those are my options. Yes. Um, I've heard of each of these. I think I'm gonna have to go with the number three. Okay. At number two, Adam has a movie that I have never seen before, but I've always been curious to, and this is a good impulse as I need to see it. I have uh, what Adam has here is uh, the 1960s beloved classic, The Great Escape. Oh, yeah. Great movie. Yeah, I haven't seen it, so now I can see this great movie everybody's been talking about for, like, 50 years. Um, and on the other side of things, over at number nine, he had, uh, just from last year, uh, the Kristen Stewart starring Spencer, which I have seen that. That movie's great. Ooh. But now, Marcus, please, uh, for my two bad choices, pick a number between one and ten. Right, so I chose three for... Adam, so three's knocked off, so I just got to consider one, two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and I'm going to go through them in my mind, which one calls to me. 
and I'm waving my hand in front of my face and my eyes are closed. And like I'm, I'm moving my hand like a bar that's going over the, the numbers in my head. I love this old-timey radio play that we're doing here. I'm stopping on the number five. Okay. So, this might be a bit of a controversial one. At number seven, Uh-oh. I have a movie that uh, won a bunch of Oscars, is uh, made a shit ton of money, has a lot of fans, uh, but it's a movie that very recently I just uh, fell out of love with, and I know Adam is not a fan of it either. I have Forrest Gump. Oh, I like that movie. I think you guys will find some fun stuff to talk about. I, I, I'm going to be excited to listen to that conversation. Yes, uh, it'll be a lot of fun to listen to that particular conversation. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, on the other side of things, over at uh, number one, I had um, another one that I guess is kind of controversial because very beloved, ha- made a lot of money, um, but I'm not necessarily a fan of it. I had the Hugh Jackman starring The Greatest Showman. Ugh. Nah, not for me. Yeah. Not for me. <laughs> no, what? Don't you want to see a big, rousing musical about a horrible man who was actually great, according to this musical? Sure, but I would like a good musical <laughs> at <true>. the minimum. <laughs> look, look, hey, this is me here talking, Marcus. Okay, this is me. Yeah. We've this had is, so oh, many right, downloads based on that song. <laughs> so many people played on Spotify. It was everywhere. It. <laughs> uh, so The Great Escape... And Forrest Gump, next time on the show, our last episode of the year. But until next time, everybody, uh, you know, just make sure to get out of those underground bunkers and uh, avoid those dragon emperors. The terracotta just might uh, scar you up.